Please join me in the prayer of illumination. Mighty God, you spoke the world into being. Speak now to our hearts. By the power of your spirit, make these ancient words live, that we might be shaped into your people, eager to bear your claim in the world and to give flesh to your future. For we pray in the name of Jesus, who leads us into life. Amen. Our first scripture is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I will be reading from the Common English Bible. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, because he considered me faithful. So he appointed me to ministry, even though I used to speak against him, attack his people, and I was proud. But I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me first of all. So I'm an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever and always. Amen. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Our gospel reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 15, the first 10 verses. Listen for God's word to you today. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart 
and life. The Gospel of the Lord. God of the dirtied hands, the wandering feet, you seek out the lost before they ever turn to you. Take us with you into the abandoning places to find a new community outside our fortress walls. Through Jesus Christ, the searching one, we pray. Amen. Now, I don't mean to brag, but resentment comes naturally to me. I know, don't be jealous. We can't all be good at everything. There's just some of us who are more natural at things than others. It's just the way it is. And for me, resentment goes back literally as far as I can remember, which sounds funny when I say it, but it's true. My earliest memory is when I was four years old or younger, because we were living in St. Louis, we moved when I was four, I don't know when, sometime four or younger, and my sister was playing with the boys, the twin boys who lived next door, Paul and David, and they were coloring in their coloring books, and I came up to join them. And Andrea said to me, you can't color with us because you'll color outside the lines. Resentment. Literally my earliest memory. This is the first, the original resentment in a long line that goes throughout my life. I told my sister jokingly this week that if I were to write an autobiography, I could name that biography, Everything is Unfair. The story of Joe Lesla. Psychologist Stephen Stanzi defines resentment as the persistent feeling that we're being treated unfairly, not getting due respect, appreciation, affection, help, apology, consideration, or reward. Does that definition resonate with anyone here in this room? You know what that feeling feels like? Any of you? Maybe I'm the only Okay, good. Me and Cora, we're the only ones. <laughs> well, besides Cora and I, there are countless folks in our church and across the world whose life story is all about how life, in one way or another, is simply not fair. And resentment is it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it becomes habitual where one grievance gets piled upon another until it clouds everything that we see. And before you know it, you end up looking for reasons to be resentful. And the human mind is such that we always see that which we are looking for. So if you're looking for reasons to be resentful, you will find them, guaranteed. We see this both in our personal relationships, we also see it in in our corporate life together. When you are in a pattern of resentment in a personal relationship, this other person, they might be treating you well and graciously and things might be going smoothly, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, this is nice while it lasts. 
Because sooner or later, I know what's going to happen. Sound familiar to any of you? And we do the same thing in our corporate relationships together. In fact, ours have been called a politics of resentment. Where the animating story that fuels our public life together is resentment towards some other group of people, be they cultural or financial elites, the so-called woke or neo-fascists, Pick your poison. There's plenty of poison to go around. And and poison is a really good way to think about resentment. There's this famous quote that gets attributed to all kinds of different famous people, and they all probably said it, but we don't quite know who said it first. But it's an incredible quote. It says, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Isn't that great? Are there any other fellow poison drinkers out there this morning? If there are, I have good news for you, and that is that Jesus has the healing to your poison. Jesus has the antidote. Once again, we see Jesus is at odds with religious people over what? Food. Who is welcome at God's table? Which should remind us that if we are following Jesus, then there's always going to be religious people who get grumpy and resentful about those that we include. And that's just the cost of admission for following Jesus. And if that's not happening, then it's probably safe to assume that we're more concerned about not offending someone else's religious sensibilities than we are loving the way Jesus has called us to love. And so Luke says all the tax collectors and sinners, they're all gathering around Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now I told you last week that we should not think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. We shouldn't. They are disgusted, resentful that Jesus would dare to eat with sinner. And it's possible that in this story, these Pharisees and legal experts actually consider themselves amongst Jesus' disciples. It's quite possible. There's no doubt that they considered themselves to be good people, God-fearing people doing everything they knew how to do to live the right way, to follow God's rules. And yet here is Jesus breaking bread with tax collectors and sinners. It just doesn't seem fair. It's amazing how powerful an act eating together is. It's no coincidence that the civil rights movement began where? But at lunch counters, right? In the South. When you share a table with someone, you are sharing humanity. Who you eat with, that's who you are. And so for the religious leaders, that Jesus would dare to eat with the tax collectors and the sinners, it's disgusting. And before we simply dismiss them as just a bunch of bigots, we should remember the tax collectors, these were not, they were considered traitors to their own people. They're not like some oppressed outcasts, no. These are people who colluded 
with the enemy and did so at the expense of their own people. That's who Jesus is eating with. And that word sinner, though we use it broadly, we apply it to everyone in this context, in Luke's context, it probably indicates something much worse than just your run-of-the-mill sinner. Jesus is eating meals with traitors and deviants, the bad people. Many of you, like me, you've attended church your entire life. You have tried your best to live the way God has called you to live. And if you saw Jesus doing this, would there just be a little part of you that would be like, this is just not right. At, at, it's certainly sending the wrong message, isn't it? Perhaps uh, perceived injustice. That, that is the basis of resentment. And so long as we feel personally slighted by someone else, so long as we think that someone else is getting something they don't deserve, or worse, they're getting something that we deserve, as long as that keeps happening, then our resentment has fuel to burn and will eventually, left unchecked, consume us. And so Jesus sees this resentment, and he proceeds to tell a series of stories that invite us out of resentment into joy. And stories, they're subversive. Right? If Jesus just kind of came in the front door and said, let me tell it to you straight. When people come in your front door, that's where you got your defenses, right? You're ready for them coming in there. But stories, what they do is they come in the back door. Try to catch us off guard. Help us to see ourselves and our neighbors in a new way. And so Jesus tells two stories. The first about a man who loses a sheep. The second about a woman who loses a coin. And in both cases, the man and the woman do this thorough search until they find what's been lost. But that's not all. When they find what they lost, they have a big celebration and invite everyone else to the party. Jesus concludes both stories by saying that joy breaks out in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life. And so the antidote to resentment is joining in God's celebration. Joining in God's celebration that the lost are found. And so Jesus compares God to a shepherd who grabs his crook, runs across the meadows, and searches far and wide until he finds that lost sheep. And he compares God to a woman who tucks in her skirt and gets on her hands and knees and sweeps that house until she finds that most valued lost coin. And so the sheep and the coin, they're compared to sinners who change their hearts, repent, change their hearts and their lives. And that's a strange comparison. Have you thought much about it? Because, you know, sheep... Coins, they don't, they don't repent. They don't change anything. Sheep wander. It's just what they do. It's not even a blameworthy behavior. In fact, if anyone's to blame, it's the shepherd. It's the shepherd's job to watch carefully so the sheep don't get lost because on their own, left to themselves, they just will. And coins... Don't lose themselves, do they? When found, 
Uh, coins don't say to us, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I just really made a mess of things. And, I mean, that'd be weird, right? They're either found or they're not, but only a fool finds that coin and blames it. So there's something wrong with you. Be better, coin. God doesn't blame the sheep for wandering, the coins for being lost, and God doesn't blame sinners for sinning either. In each case, God takes it upon God's own self to find what's been lost. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God is revealed again and again as a God of compassion through and through. When people screw up, and make a mess out of things, or for whatever reason they just find themselves lost, God's response is always one of compassion. So when you are lost, all God does is move toward you in compassion. And when we see how much compassion that God has for other people, that, that can seem unfair to us. But of course... God cares for you that much, too. When it comes to the love of God, we are dealing with the infinite. And you cannot divide the infinite. God's love for someone else does not indicate less love for you. But what it does indicate is that God doesn't love you more for being good or less for being bad. Goodness is its own reward. And badness is its own punishment. And neither does anything to change the love of God for you. And that may seem unfair to those of us who try to be good. And perhaps it is. But if our goal is fairness, we will always end up judgmental, resentful, people. But if our goal is reconciliation, then compassion is the only way. My mother was a counselor by profession, and her most repeated phrase, I think, as a counselor was, do you want to be right, or do you want to be in a relationship? I think God says the exact same thing to each one of us. If you want to be right, then I hope you enjoy being alone because that's what you'll end up being. But if you want to be in a relationship, then you need to let go of that perceived injustice, unfairness, and bask in the infinite love of God that belongs to all. And here's the best part. <laughs> When we let go of those resentments, our need to be right, our stories about how everything is unfair, then we discover that there's this party that's going on. It's already happening. And we're enjoyed, invited to join it. You see, it's either resentment or rejoicing. It's one or the other. You can't do both. So if you want to be at the big table, then you got to put on your dancing shoes. Because we don't just eat at this meal. We dance too. And I don't think you can dance and be resentful at the same time. Do you? 
I don't think it's possible. The good news is that God doesn't blame you for getting lost, for the times you've colored outside the lines, and for all the times you've been resentful. God doesn't have time to blame. God just gets busy, finds you, and says, I'm so glad that you're here. Now let's party. Amen.